0: Oh, <laughs> hello, everyone. Um, this is very funny. I've been talking for 10 minutes and realized that my microphone was off. <clears throat> well, welcome. Uh, I'm Doc Jones, uh, the resource investor. Um, today, I called this uh, Best Ideas for 2023 in the resource space, Um But first, I would like to talk about due diligence uh, research, which I think is the most important thing for anyone out there. I'd like to start off by saying due due diligence is not Twitter. It is not uh, Stockhouse or uh, uh, YouTube or whatnot. Um, Just because you read something out there on one of these anonymous forums or even from someone who's not anonymous, like a newsletter writer, you should not take that as gospel. Have a healthy skepticism right? Have a healthy skepticism about the things I say. Use it as a starting point, right? It's a starting point for you to delve deeper. Uh, there's multiple steps that should be taken before that first dollar capital is, is committed to any investment. So I'm going to go over a few things. Maybe some of you know this, some of you don't, but bear with me. So, um, due diligence. If you haven't already been familiar with SEDAR, Go to SEDAR. SEDAR is the Canadian regulatory site where, it's where the companies file all their legal filings. Everything in those filings has to be vetted and approved by a lawyer, right? So uh, on SEDAR, you'll find the MDNA, the management discussion, discussion and analysis, the 43101, which is the initial or resource statement that every company files when, when they have a resource. And within that 43101, you will also find the assumptions they use, such as the cutoff grade, which is very important because in some Cases you will find the cutoff grade is too high, meaning that the um, they're using a, a cutoff grade which uh, doesn't suit the current and projected commodity and environment. So there, it's inflated the size of the resource. Whereas at other times you'll find, or uh, I meant in reverse, if that's what I mean. Or other times you'll find uh, the cutoff grade is too low, meaning that they're assuming that their costs are going to be very 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 low below the average, and they've inflated the resource when the cutoff grade is too high. For example, you could find a company that during a pricing environment where, say, uh, I'll use gold because everyone understands gold. Say they they put the resource together when gold was a $1,000 an ounce. So maybe they used a cutoff grade of four grams uh, per ton. Uh, We're in the current environment at whatever it is, $1,800 gold, perhaps a more Uh, um, appropriate cutoff grade would be more like two and a half grams per ton so in that way you will know that either the resource is fine underreported or overreported and from there you can make your own analysis about what the company is worth or their resource is worth um you know, on SEDAR, you'll also find a PEA, the pre-feasibility study, the feasibility study, and within those you'll find the assumptions that they use for cost, uh, mining method, all, all the things that you need, um, that you need to to uh, determine the actual value of a company. Uh, uh, also, uh, what's really great is, let's say that there's a company that has taken over a Brownsfield operation and that mine was owned by some operator a decade or two decades ago um, that as yet has gone either is bankrupt or has been just uh, taken over. You will find those filings there, too. So that's where Google comes in handy. You can Google the name of the mine and you can find out who owned it before and then go to Cedar and find their filings. And that way, you can know what work was actually done at the mine or on the property before this company uh, uh, got a hold of it because not all companies are forthright about that. For example, two years ago, there's a gold company in Ontario that had this property where they said it's uh, it has 500,000 ounces historical, about 20 grams per ton. uh Hasn't seen any work since like 1940 or something like that. That's when the resource was done. uh So through using Google and finding out the name of the prior owner of this property, which uh, I believe went bankrupt in 2010, uh, I found out they actually did drill it because also instead are all their news releases for their, Drilling and uh, press releases are also on Cedar. So I found out that prior company had owned this property and had drilled it and was unable to confirm the historical resource that this company was touting out there in the market that they have you know, 500,000 ounces at 20 grams per ton open for expansion, which was completely fictitious. And that company has since pretty much gone to zero um, as people became aware of that. Uh, but you always want to be ahead of the curve and be aware of these things before anyone else, because that's how you make your money in investing by 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 knowing knowing what it is and what it what the news means before anyone else is able to assess it and put it into a model, right? Uh another great resource is LinkedIn. You know, you can go and check uh the C suite, the names of the people in the C suite. Where did they work before? What's their experience? Have they always been in mining or did they were they selling used cars up until six months ago? That might be something that influences the decision whether you want to give them your hard-earned dollars. Um, there's also uh, in, in junior mining, small companies under $100 million, uh, market cap. It's fairly easy to, to get a hold of the company and have some direct communication with them. What I recommend is that you send an email make it very professional, explain you are a shareholder and you have some questions about the strategy going forward and uh, you would like to meet with someone in management to just have, a, have a, a one-on-one prior to committing more capital because you're interested in possibly increasing your position in the company. Uh, it's, a, it's a very good strategy because when you talk to an actual person at the company face-to-face, you may glean more information or a greater understanding than what you find just in a presentation or in a, uh, in a corporate presentation. Um, newsletter writers can be a good source. Uh, uh, some of them, there are good ones and bad ones, uh, but again, remember everyone's biased, right? Um, so, uh, you know, there are a few good ones out there. I'm not going to make any recommendations here, but just do, do your research. Um, yeah. Yeah. Understanding geology is very important if you're going to invest in mining. You don't have to have a PhD, but you do need to have a basic working knowledge, such as different ore types, oxide, sulfide, refractory, and know the associated capex with each of those and the associated recoveries that you should expect. Um, you know, oxide, very very cheap to set up a heap leach pad and a, and, a, and a mill to do some crushing and grinding, you know, under 200 million, you can be producing a hundred thousand ounces a year um, uh, with a pretty uh, robust margin. Whereas refractory uh, recoveries are really terrible, uh, very expensive. And unless you have access to an autoclave, uh, which I think there's only two in North America, um, doesn't matter how big your deposit is it's going to be very tough so uh you have to understand what it is uh before you put your money in uh to avoid disappointment also understand basically what kind of system is this is is this company pursuing a porphyry system which means uh deep drilling very big low grade very a lot a lot of capex so if they're pursuing a porphyry, it has to be big. It has to be decent grade, like Philo, for example, or else it won't work. Because uh, with a porphyry, you have to have a major. You have to have someone come in who's going to put in a billion dollars of capex or two billion. So uh, those projects get killed pretty quickly. Um, uh, you know, is it a VMS system? VMSs tend to be uh, high grade but low tonnage compared to porphyry. You know, the average VMS is three to 10 million tons, there are ones that are much larger, but in general, you know, three to 10 million tons, at at very high grade, Um, uh, as well as it, is it an epithermal system, Uh, like narrow, narrow vein mining, you know, all those things will have associated costs with it. Um, Yeah. And understanding the macro, you know, the, getting the macro right is about 90, 95% of making, profits in the resource sector, you know, knowing what tailwinds and headwinds are in your, in the commodity that you choose to invest in. You know, right now we have the energy transition. So there's, uh, there's a lot of tailwinds associated with that, both on the supply and the demand side. Um, I'll give you an example of what, what is a, a headwind, for example, oil and gas industry, Moving towards electrification in the future is going to diminish the demand for oil and gas. A tailwind is governments are putting up barriers to limit drilling, therefore the production needed to satisfy demand in the future will not be there, which is bullish for price. So you have to weigh both the tailwinds and the headwinds and decide uh, what's the outcome. Jurisdiction is very important. Uh, we've seen lately in some jurisdictions the nationalization of assets. So you want to be in, in, a, in a tier one jurisdiction where the rule of law and the ownership is is pretty much set in stone. Canada is a great jurisdiction to work in. Um, infrastructure is close to power, roads, water. These things are very important. Um, and that, that'll also dictate drilling costs. For example, there's uh, there are projects up north that, It's $1,000 a meter to drill because they have to helicopter in. Uh, Whereas um, in Spain and areas of Spain, the drilling cost is, you know, 150 euros a meter uh, because you also have you're right off the highway next to uh, towns. uh, Yeah, power, water, everything's there. You know, capital structure, you know, how many shares are out, how many warrants, options, what are they priced at? Treasury, how many hard? How, what's the hard dollars, and what's the flow through they have in Canada? If the company has flow through dollars, they have to spend them on exploration within a set amount of time, which also will inform you about the news flow that is coming too. Because if they have to spend the money, then you can pretty much, in most cases, guarantee that they're going to use use it for that. Um, another thing is, what what is the cost going to be to define a deposit? Right. If it's narrow veins uh, that are splaying out and fractured all over the place, they got to the drill density has to be very close together to put a deposit together, Uh, whereas something uh, that is a a large uh, flat lying system that's fairly thick. Uh, the continuity is going to be more predictable and therefore your cost to define a indicated resource or uh, even an inferred resource is going to be uh, considerably less. Also, the the finding cost. I remember uh, one of the reasons I'm very bullish on on nickel sulfide uh, this year and going forward because of the energy transition, but I, I, I found an old report from 2017 that quoted the average finding cost for a pound of nickel sulfide was 27 cents. Uh, now, that's an important number to remember if you're looking at a company that already has a defined resource and it's a high quality resource. The grade, it will be mineable, uh, the economics are sound, and let's say it's trading at, I don't know, 10 cents a pound. And if the average around the globe is it's costing uh, the average company at least 27 cents, you could see a re rate of 150% just as the market becomes aware of the value of, of the resource that they already have. And as always, you want scale and grade. Uh, I can't remember one of those uh, famous guys, I think Rick Rule or one of those guys has quoted as saying, you know, a, a, a small mine has just as many problems as a large mine, but in a small mine, your the ability to fix these problems because of the limited amount of uh, resources the company has becomes greater and it's higher risk. Uh, yeah. So those are things to think about. So that's kind of due diligence so anyways uh, this is all just my opinion uh, none of this is uh, i would say uh, making uh, uh making investing advice treat this as kind of an educational journey now what i'm looking at here for 2023 is the energy transition we're seeing uh a a huge shift towards electrification of everything moving away from fossil fuels and the associated uh, infrastructure needed for that uh so the commodities that that i'm looking at are copper uh zinc lead nickel iron ore uh a little bit of oil and gas but because of the the um the unknown factor with government Actually, windfall profit taxes and, and carbon taxes. I'm, I'm investing in oil and gas primarily through uh, a royalty streaming company um, in Canada called Freehold uh, Oil and Gas Royalties uh, because the margins are exceptional and they don't bear any of the risk of, of drilling because they get a, uh, a royalty on every barrel or mcf that is produced and they have the geographical diversification by having land holdings across north america including the united states so they also are insulated from the price discrepancy discrepancy that a canadian producer will experience compared to the u.s counterpoints, parts or, or vice versa uh and also the the major cost there is just their administrative uh you know they're not uh they don't have to uh, have to run pipelines and employ drill crews or whatnot. So um, that that's that to me is a is, is a good business because their ability to pay their distrib- distribution, which is about eight percent right now, the yield on that uh, they can maintain uh, that eight percent yield uh, at current prices uh, down to about forty five dollars a barrel. So so that's that that's. That's what I'm looking at as far as oil and gas. Now, um, where I tend to excel is uh, companies that have a resource. So I can put some economics on it and NPV uh, or do a uh, pure comparison. So my, my two, two largest holdings and also my, my two uh, most uh, conviction is uh, Emerita Resources and uh, Magna Mining in Sudbury. Uh, both for different reasons. Uh, Magna Mining is a, uh, uh, a nickel development company in Sudbury. Uh, they recently acquired the Crane Hill mine. Uh, and it was very interesting because most people didn't understand uh, what it was until they put out the 43101. Um, so uh, the market had priced in that maybe the, the resource there was about 3 million tons at about 3%. Nickel equivalent uh, what they came out was uh, thirty two million tons of indicated fourteen and a half underground at over two percent and sixteen point five open pit open pitable at a little over one percent nickel equivalent, which is a very good grades um, and currently uh, those who've been following have seen that the uh, the underlying price or market cap of the company has, uh, risen, um, uh, I think 150%, 200% since I first started, uh, talking about it and putting out my due diligence. So basically right now, if, if you, there's many ways to do peer comparisons here, for example, Talon metals, uh, is a direct peer comparison. They're valued at, uh, about 56 cents per nickel equivalent pound. Um, uh. Right now, uh, Magna, today's market cap, is being valued at $0.11 cents per nickel equivalent pound. Uh, also, uh, Azure Chalice in Australia getting $0.48, cents, uh, 34 uh, $0.37 cents a pound. So the average of those three peers is about $0.46 cents per pound. So just on a pure comparison, you could get a 3 to 4x uplift just on that. Um now, recently, they started announcing the drill results. Uh, I'm sure some of you have seen that. Uh, these wide intersections of high-grade nickel, copper, and PGMs. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty sensational. So that resource is going to grow. And they already have a permitted mill. Uh, both mines are are permitted, the Shakespeare and the Crane Hill. And there's going to be a lot of synergies between the two. They also have the option of doing toll milling uh, initially, which is really great because that limits your dilution going Going forward, I, I, I spoke with the company uh, numerous times, and I think it's very possible that they will be able to do toll milling between a thousand to two thousand tons a day uh, from Crane Hill at and the CEO, I said, likely at uh, the underground uh, resource grade or better, which is about two point two point zero seven percent nickel equivalent. So. I've run my own numbers on a, using a 2% nickel equivalent and hitting the middle of the projected tolling of uh, 1,500 tons a day. So using a 10% or $10 nickel uh, price, which now it's about $12, 12,50 just to keep it a little conservative. So if you do 1,500 tons 365 days a year, that's 44 pounds per tonne. Uh, at $10 uh, USD per pound, uh, you get a, seven, say, 75% recoverable uh, metal uh, at about a 50% margin that will generate them $90 million in free cash flow. U.S. dollars are $122 million Canadian annually. Now, what's important about that is that it'll ta- only cost them probably about $30 million. To start tolling, uh, to put in a ramp and, and do the necessary work, so uh, they could toll, do a toll milling agreement for you know three four years, and then the cash flow from that the mine uh, the tolling capex will be paid out in three four months, and then they can use that cash to finance building the Shakespeare Mill, which is a four thousand five hundred ton a day mill. The uh, capex is, is about two hundred fifty million Canadian. Uh, so that would be paid for within two and a half years of cash flow uh, from tolling. And then after that, you have the in production and then you blend from Crane Hill because uh, their they're total indicator resource combining both projects and they're within trucking distance is over 50 million tons. So by blending, the grade will come down, but your costs are going to decrease drastically because now you're... You're running it through your own mill. You're not paying the tolling charges. So you'll get enough uplift on margin. Your payable metals will probably increase because um, much like, I don't know, some of you are familiar with Wallbridge. But if you remember Wallbridge, before they started pursuing uh, uh, F- Fetalon, they had put the broken hammer deposit in, in production in uh, Sudbury. And what they did, they were tolling it and then they had the operator put in uh, gravity tables uh to capture more of the pgm so the recoveries they put in i think it was three or four gravity tables it cost them about 600,000 to do that and their pgm recoveries went from 50% to 70% so if you look at the material that um that uh magna has and if you look at it from a tolling okay tolling they're going to recover a blended 75 percent of the nickel copper and pgms pgms will be the lowest recovery probably around 50 55 percent but uh the, the grades that they're pulling out of there you're looking at you know four grams per ton five grams per ton on average so if if they can capture another gram or two grams of the pgms when they have their own mill you're looking at adding what another hundred dollars a ton right to the bottom line on top of the the gain that you get from running it through your own mill uh so then it's the economics are just pretty astounding when you look at it uh three years out you know, within 12 months, they're tolling within three years, they have a mill built, that's 4,500 tons a day. And because the mill's already permitted, they can expand that mill by 50% without uh, triggering a new EA uh, environmental assessment permit. So they can go up to 67, 67, 50 tons per day. So you're looking at that, that would take probably a year to 18 months to do that. So in the end, you're looking at a company that 4 years from now will be generating potentially using a $10 flat nickel equivalent price about 450-500 million in free cash flow and they're going to start beginning generating cash flow close to around 75-100 million about a year from now which preserves the capital structure which keeps mitigates and pretty much ends any future dilution, they could potentially do this without issuing any more shares. Because after this private placement closes that they did uh, at $1.81, uh, it was a charity flow through. So there's a premium on that. Uh, they'll have the 22 million in the bank after they pay associated costs and, and a few other things. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like that's, to me, that that's amazing. That that, that because the, the the team there they're they the old FNX team, right? FNX mining uh, nickel in uh, Sudbury was started. Uh, Terry McGibbon, um, fifty about a fifty million dollar market cap, and within eight years, that company was valued at three billion dollars at its height, and was taken out at one point six billion uh, at a takeout price. Now that's that's like twelve years ago. So inflation adjusted, that's about 3 billion today the takeout um and they did it only tolling because they they couldn't get a permit for a mill uh so that's that's what makes shakespeare so valuable uh as well the Shakespeare resource is going to grow because they did the drilling last year. Most people weren't following the story. Uh, There's the gap zone between the two pits and they were pulling out decent mineralization there. And the CEO has said in a call that when we do an updated resource on Shakespeare, you're going to see that grow because the gap zones have filled in. So those two pits are going to connect. Um, So that's pretty exciting. So, yeah. Uh, Magna is definitely uh, uh, one of my top choices because also the the macro for nickel sulfide is what you need for batteries. And you've got all these battery plants being built. You have uh, stocks on the LME down uh, 80% below the five year average. Uh, The uh, demand picture that has been slated for the next five years that will go from uh, consuming uh, 3 million tons a year to 6 million tons. Uh, There's also uh, off LME pricing currently is at a substantial premium uh, for delivery. And uh, people I know at Glencore have said that Glencore's uh, thing about starting their own exchange to price and trade the metal outside of the LME, which is owned by China, by a Chinese company. Um, So that's very fascinating too, Uh, as well as the United States only has one producing nickel mine uh, that is slated to go uh, run out of ore in 2025. Now also uh, in the critical metal space in general, you are seeing (laughs) governments give free money to companies. to get them into production and move them along. You have, for example, there's the Eurozone that has a $3.2 billion fund for critical metals and smelting uh, in the Iperin Pyrite Belt of Spain. You have the U.S. DOD with a $700 million grant where they give you free money. They gave Talon Metals $126 million. Uh, you also have uh, Canada, the critical metals tax credit, where you can raise money at a 65% premium for, for charity flow through, as well as the Canadian government is looking to put together a grant fund as well to uh, rival the United States, uh, as well as uh, just, I think it was yesterday, the Saudi Arabia has put together a $3 billion uh, sovereign wealth fund to invest in critical metal mining. And they also have uh, separately made an investment of, a, uh, I think it was 100 and, $120 in Ivanhoe Electric. So the theme you're seeing here is critical metals are in short supply. And the lag time to get new production into the world to build a new mine is approximately about 12 years uh, between discovery, delineation, permitting, and building. It's, it's not like uh, drilling an oil well. Uh, where you can be on production in a matter of three weeks, four weeks, and add to the production profile globally. Uh, that's not how it is in mining. And, uh, yeah, so, so that's, that, that, that's why I think it, it, it's a sector you have to be in. Now, I do a lot of investing in junior mining, but I also enjoy, uh, don't only just do that, I invest in the majors. So anyone who's listening is like, well, junior mining sounds like a lot of work. I would suggest that you look at the major mining companies, Rio Tinto, BHB, Valet. They all offer compelling, compelling dividend yields. Uh, And they've all actually been outperforming the market uh, in general. Uh, I put together a dividend portfolio about four months ago towards the bottom of the market, picking up the uh, major mining companies, getting a blended yield of about 8% currently, uh, on, on that invested capital and all those companies have appreciated anywhere from 20 to 30, 35%. And you're talking about huge, well-capitalized businesses. And because they're in production, they will benefit directly from the rise in commodity prices, um, uh, as well, uh, um, with, with, with this whole transition, um, with the infrastructure spend, the need for more uh, smelting capacity, uh, it drives up the prices. Uh, uh, and and these, these major mining companies, a lot of them are integrated where they have a trading arm, they have the production, they have the, the milling and smelting. And so there's a lot of benefit there, a lot of synergies that you can capture uh, investing in the majors. Um, for those who want a little less of a risk profile, um, and the way that capital flows as, as the major themes change and, and you can see that capital on a, on a global scale is going into the resource sector. Uh, the majors tend to soak up the capital first, cause we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars that go, go into uh, investments. And then it goes down to the developers and then into the junior sector, uh, the micro caps and things like that. So, yeah, so that's magnum mining. Um, Next, uh, is, um, Emerita Resources, which is uh, a company I've been in now for well, about two years, I guess, close to two years, coming up on my two-year anniversary. I first started talking about it and putting up my due diligence when I was around, uh, I was 23.5 cents, to be precise, um, and over the last... 20 months it's gone from 23 cents up to four dollars and 16 cents and now i don't know what it is today 74 cents 75 cents something like that um they currently uh are cashed up and they have 15 drill rigs running on their imperium uh, ibw property in spain which they won in court there's there's a whole history you should look it up they they uh they were in the tenders uh, uh, tender competition for the IVW. Uh, and th- that was about six years ago. And it was awarded to someone else, even though they were technically superior, it was awarded to uh, traffic Cura subsidiary Metsa, which has, was sold last year for close to 2 billion to Sandfire, but they challenged it and they went to court and it took five years in court. And then they won it uh, two years ago. Now, this property comes with three high-grade deposits historically on there that was drilled out by Rio Tinto, Phelps, Dodge, and others. Uh, the historic resource, as is, when they uh, walked on the property, was approximately about 15 million tons of high-grade that had been delineated. Uh, since then, they fully permitted the property, have been drilling it, the Land fanta deposit, which was the smallest but the highest grade. It was running about 27% zinc equivalent of uh, uh, they've expanded that you can see that through the drilling uh, the uh, Roman era which was the largest uh, 12 million tons they've been drilling that they're, they're doing 70,000 80,000 m- meters on there um, and through the drilling they've been able to uh, connect that there's two zones in that deposit uh, one on top one at on the bottom and the middle was believed to be uh, uneconomic because the previous operators did not assay for uh, gold and silver uh, and also used a zinc plus lead cutoff grade this is in the 80s um, and as it turns out um, they should have because they're uh, pulling out some really decent grades of, uh, of, of, of gold and silver and uh, some very compelling um, base metal grades in that zone connecting the two so this goes back to continuity and they're doing a 43101 the initial 43101 should be coming out uh, at the beginning of Q2 of this year and it's been posited and modeled by you know myself and other others that, that I know that we're looking at probably at least 20 25 million tons at around 12% zinc equivalent now uh, contextually if you look at uh, their peers that have the same uh, kind of tonnage and grade and economics, Uh, Emerita trades at about an 80% discount to them. So just on IBW alone, uh, uh, I can foresee a 3 to 4x rise once the resource is actually out there confirmed and then people can put an NPV on it. I'm looking, my own model says the NPV is going to come in probably around 1.3 billion, something like that. So you get 30% of that for market cap. You're looking at a uh, 400 million dollar company, US, US uh, and US dollar terms uh, just on that and still open for expansion. I was in Spain in November and I walked the property and I talked to the uh, new structural geologist. who had been doing some prospecting uh, on the IBW uh, Roman era. And he found uh, three more historic shafts, uh, likely from the Roman times or uh, it could be the 18, 1900s uh, on the property west of the Roman era deposit that goes on to the Ontario land package, which they have because Amarita is the third largest uh, landholder in the Iperian pyrite belt in Spain now, because they won uh, nine, Nine tenders in the last uh, year and a half, and have grown the company considerably. Um, uh, so that that's that also uh, informs the upside of further expansion and more resources added. Because the idea with this, in the end, with IBW specifically, is one mill being fed by multiple deposits, much like Magna, right? You get more synergies that way, and then every incremental ton you add. Uh, The IRR on that is uh, fantastic because you're just mining it. You don't have to build another mill, right? It all goes in the same mill, increases mine life, drives down your cost per ton. Um, So uh, that's what Amorita is doing. They they have, I think it's about 70 drill holes to report now, about 40,000 meters uh, to report. Um, When I was there in November, they had, I believe it was 35... 35 holes at the lab, uh, another 20 that were being split and logged. And since then, they've probably done another 15, 20 holes. Um, So there should be a a wave of new slow beginning basically any day now, Um, uh, which will will be very exciting there. They too have... uh, I don't know the exact number but at the time when I last spoke to them they had about 22 million in the bank and they have said that by the end of the putting out the resource and uh drilling the 70,000 meters they'll have about 10 million left in the bank um then they also have the Nuevo Tintillo property which is fantastic they it's between uh you have the Rio Tinto mine, which is the largest accumulation of massive of sulfides in the world, then the volcanic strike, 24 meters of which it's contiguous to the Rio Tinto. They have the Nuevo Tintillo property, 24 meters of the volcanic strike with eight historic mines uh, that were producing. There's two of them there right on their property that I I, I went and I did some my own sampling on, which was really fun. Uh, The flora and the Nazater, I can't pronounce it correctly, but they were mining there. These are uh, small open pits that were done in the 1900s um, uh, that were halted at the First World War. Uh, They're mining 6% copper, which is very exciting. And so this volcanic strike goes from Rio Tinto through our property where there's all these historical uh, workings. And then there's the Asnacallier, and then the strike continues to Las Cruces. So this is a very active, very product- productive volcanic uh, horizon that has created these world-class deposits. Um, so they've, they've done uh, the, the EM survey on there and defined 14 drill targets. They're gonna do a, uh, a gravity survey now uh, to further tighten up um, the targeting. Uh, and they will you should get a drill on there sometime and i believe in the second quarter is when they're going to do that um right now they're finishing up the drilling at uh romanera and La Infanta, and they're putting a drill uh eminently on the alcura deposit as well, which has uh, historically two million tons, and a very copper dominant. It lies between La Fanta and Romanera, on the same volcanic strike. It's just the tectonics have shifted the volcanic strike to the north. Uh, there's you can see in the in the presentation, you can see where, where the uh, where the faults are and and whatnot. Um. So yeah, and then there's Collier, which they finally got a court date from. Now, uh, I, I had originally thought it would be sooner, but it's not until 2025 now. So that premium that was in there that brought us up to the f- over four dollars had been backed out as the caller, as some of you know and don't know, is a, um, a tender that's being disputed because of um, corruption and uh, lots of criminal activity where Amarita was the only qualified bidder, and yet it was awarded to uh, another company. Now, uh, where it stands is there's a judge, uh, 16 people, a judge named, a courtroom named, a date, which is in 2025. There are 16 people charged in the government and in the uh, company that illegally received the tender. Uh, Five Superior Court judges have publicly ruled that crimes were committed in the warning of the tender three levels of court have ruled crimes were committed in the warning of the tender the tender laws are very specific where if there's a crime committed then that company's disqualified it goes to the next qualified bidder which is emerita and those who followed me from whatever 23 and a half cents i was telling you as a collier, there's like at least 80 million tons of high grade. Because I found all the other deposits on there that weren't listed in the company presentation that weren't known about. Now, if you look at the Amarita's presentation, you will see there that they've been verified and added to the presentation. There's the old Collier mine, which has over 40 million tons of, of high grade. There's the, uh, the lens that between the two that is they put 10, 20 million tons on. And then there's the 28 million tons of the lost release mine which everyone knew about before anyways. Uh, and that's why this case has gotten so much coverage and so much energy from investors, because when you add it all up, when they, the day they're awarded that and they own it, that's going to add a billion, a billion and a half to their market cap like that. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, so, so Amarita, uh, because of, of, of its current evaluation, just on IBW itself, uh, is could rise, you know, three, four x just on that, uh, and then you get all the other stuff for free. You get the other eight conjoining land packages that they won last year to IBW. You get Nuevo Tintillo, and then you get the future option on, call it an option if you want, or a warrant on uh, Asna Collier, which I believe that premium will start to be built back in into next year as we get a year out. Uh, People will start going. Yeah, it's it's only a year away now, Um, because people can only wait a year till Christmas. I it's the way I like to think about it. Yeah, so so uh, those those are my two most convictions as far as in uh, the junior mining. Uh, As well, I I think people should look at Sigma Lithium. Uh, This company is going to start cash flowing in April. Uh, Sigma Sigma Lithium is huge. Like, yeah. They're they're in Brazil and they they have a project there that they're they're just about to finish building uh, and start start producing in April. It cost them their total capex was under two hundred million to bring this into production. Uh, this is uh, lithium. Uh, they're going to produce five point five percent concentrate um, at a cost of about five hundred fifty dollars. Uh, a ton. Now the current sales price for that same 5.5, 5% uh, a ton is uh, a little over 5,000. So the margins are incredible. Uh, if you go to the company presentation, you will. So, so basically they're going to have no debt, right? They have no debt, though. They will pay. The mine will pay out in a matter of like a month, something like five weeks. And the, IR, the IRR is like 1100%. <clears throat> and uh, phase one, two and three, if you look there, the EBITDA that they're going to produce in year one is one point uh, uh, five billion using fifty seven hundred um, uh, price per ton of of the uh, five point five percent uh, lithium concentrate. Uh, in years two to eight, uh, their EBITDA is three point one billion Uh, And that's using a lithium concentrate of 4,700, right? A declining price, but still, because as phase one, two, and three kick in, you get more synergies there. Uh, And then from years nine to 13, as we have more supply coming to the market, you know, use a a 5.5 lithium concentrate price of about 2,100 a tonne. They will generate uh, about 800 million in EBITDA. So, even right now, I believe the market cap is 2.7 billion, something like that. Uh, So, if you put a 10x on year nine's EBITDA using a 60, 70% discount of the current price of of, uh, lithium concentrate, you still get. At 10X EBITDA, you're still getting an $8 billion company. So you're getting like a a, a 2 to 3X uplift just by discounting things so drastically. But we can see the forward curve on lithium and the demand. So you're not going to have the price of uh, lithium concentrate cratering in the next couple of years. The the supply isn't there to meet the demand. Uh, So these guys are going to be cash flowing like $10 a share uh or 20 point yeah yeah it's like 20 30 dollars a share they're actually trading uh you know at less than uh like one-time cash flow so my question has always been a company that has no debt that is generating billions of dollars in free cash flow where does that money go back to the shareholders uh does it uh a dividend do they do a share buyback it certainly becomes a takeout um a take of Target for any majors because majors are looking to get more exposure to lithium. You can see that with the news releases from Rio and uh, BHP. Um, um, so what will what will a company pay for this? I would suggest they would pay, you know, five to eight times EBITDA. Uh, so the average EBITDA over the life of mine here, we're looking at, you know, two billion, two billion about two, three billion. Uh, so you're looking, you know, at 10 billion, 10 to 12 billion takeout price, which is about three, four X from here. Um, so, so yeah, that, that, that's another high confidence name that I have. Um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's an interesting time, uh, when you look at the world, you know, uh, I don't, I don't see, um. When we get back to gold here, okay, some people ask me about gold. Here is my opinion on gold, right? The gold price is rising, but I don't think that's going to translate into drastically higher prices for the equities in the near term. Maybe towards the end of 2023, we will see a better market for that. But interest rates are still going to rise, right? Uh, that's, that's, that's hard to compete. Uh, and also, even without the backdrop of the Fed, um, if you look at the industry, the mining industry, when you have critical metals being given preferential treatment by governments for permitting, by giving, giving them free money, which just supercharges their IRRs, right? Where's capital going to gravitate to? Would you put your money into uh, uh, a, gold, a gold exploration company? Or a critical metals company that is getting half of their CapEx for free from the government, who is, has more advantages when raising money, they can do it at a, at a substantial premium uh, because of the special tax, tax credits associated with critical metals. Right. So it doesn't mean not gonna, there's not good companies out there. Of course, there's good companies out there. But if you follow the trend, that's where the money's going to. It, it's it's not going into, into uh, gold exploration, and you've also have um, the inflationary inputs. Uh, I think energy prices are going to start tracking back up. Labor labor costs have gone up. Uh, raw material costs have gone up, uh, and those things are rising more rapidly than the underlying gold price itself. Still very valuable. Like I'm, I'm glad I, I have exposure through the byproduct credits of the of the companies that I own. I, you know, I also have Newmont because they' that's in my dividend portfolio because it's it's like one largest gold producer in the world, uh, and and they they do a fantastic job and generate a lot of free cash flow. But in, in the juniors, like with Magna or Amerita or several others out there, I, I I get exposure through the byproduct credit that they earn through mining the main commodity, which is a critical metals commodity that goes into the energy transition. Um, So yeah, that's how I'm looking at all this. I think that's everything I wanted to cover. Um, Oh, there's uh, some interesting news came out today. If you're, if you want to look at uh, Osisko Metals, they put out some really nice intercepts uh, at their uh, uh, Pine Point project. really high grade uh zinc lead um and uh, if you see the the intersections were nice and wide high grade much higher than their uh what's in their resource so um and then they have the gas copper and i'm trying to get a hold of of uh bob wares to find out where they are uh as far as uh, if they're going to apply for um or if they've been approached by the U.S. government or not to fill out uh, critical metals uh, grant application, because that project is uh, pretty close to making a production decision to build it. Um, uh, and that's, that's a huge, huge mine. That'll be some substantial capex, but you're looking at something that's going to produce, be one of the largest Producers in North America uh, once it's built. Uh, that's a good one to look at too, especially at this price. I think it's at 20 cents today, which, uh, you know, um, again, price means nothing, right? I could say something's 10 cents or $10. How do you know if it's cheap or not? Look at the market cap, see what each share represents in percentage of ownership. Uh, uh, just uh, to go on a little tangent there, you know, I'd much rather own a company that's $10 a share uh, that only has a million shares out than. Uh, company that has uh, a dollar a share that has a billion shares out right it's all about what is the 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 market cap and of course the enterprise value but most juniors don't carry debt so that's why i don't really talk about enterprise value um um, yeah yeah so 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 look look at the evaluations A, a good way to look at that is through you know uh, if, if, if they're at a stage where you can run an economic model on the Npv or or the net asset value or the potential cash flow that they will be generating uh, that's a good way to do it or there's also the uh, the pure comps of you know what are other people getting for these same quality of, of ounces or pounds per pound how many dollars or cents uh, per ounce or pound that's a good way to give you an idea of whether or not is it fair-valued, overvalued, or undervalued. Um, yeah. So I, I, think, I think that's it. I think that's all I'm going to say right now. Uh, I'm going to make a few book recommendations for people who want to learn a little bit more about the mining industry and for your own s- self-awareness and sense of security when you're making investment decisions. Okay, there's a book uh, called Mining Economics Explained. It's by Craig Hutton. It's, it's 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 billed as a guide for board's executive managers and investors it's really great it it, it really hammers home how to understand the economics of mining um, there's also mining explained by the northern miner it's uh, a layperson's guide to mining 11th edition basic geology prospecting sampling and drilling mining methods metals markets, investing in mining, glossary, and much more. That's a good one. And, of course, there's uh, Mineral Exploration and Mining Essentials by Robert Stevens. That's a fantastic book of just understanding uh, geology and different systems. Um, There's also, for people who are a little bit more advanced after that, you can get ore Deposits Geology by John Riley Ridley. Uh, it's basically a a graduate textbook but you can get it off of Amazon Um, yeah so go forth and prosper Uh, everyone out there and in the universe out there on Twitter or whatnot but again again Twitter, Stockout CEO YouTube and all that is not due diligence in line it's a starting point everyone's going to have a bias positively or negatively Use it as use these things that you come across. You see a post from someone or, or myself, for instance, where, where I say X plus Y equals Z. Don't run out and buy the stock. Do, do the homework and go, does that make sense? Right? You know, um, that, that, that's what I'd say. Because if, if a company is a good investment, it's going to be a good investment today, tomorrow, next week, and next month, most likely. So the market's always going to be there to take your money. So please take your time to understand what it is Um, uh, to avoid disappointment. Understand there will be losses along the way. But your idea is to limit your losses. So as things change, if you have a thesis and it's not adding up, then don't get upset. Take the loss where you need it. Use that for rationalizing your tax liability at the end of the year um and when when things are being proved up in your thesis regardless of what's going on in the price stay true to your thesis because if your thesis is correct eventually value will be realized personally my investment horizon generally is 2 to 4 years you know that's how i've made pretty much all my 10 baggers have come in that time frame and within that time frame they've always decreased by at least 50% at some point from whatever price they were at, right? Maybe they went from a dollar to $2 and they came back to a dollar. I bought it at $2 and then immediately went to a dollar before going to 10. Um, Yeah, that's it. Thank you everyone for your time. I hope uh, you found some benefit in this and uh, feel free to reach out to me if you want. Uh, Again, stock Jones, the resource investor. Uh, I don't work for anyone. No one pays me for any of the coverage. If you want to call it, I do. I just post about the stuff I'm investing in and and why. And, uh, that's it. Thank you.